Okay. All right. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, we're going to try to cover two chapters tonight, chapter 27 and 28. If not, we'll just do 27. But I've been reading these uh, scriptures all week, and I know especially the 28th chapter uh, that is filled with uh, pros uh, passages that prosperity preachers use, and we want to you know, get the context of these passages and who these passages are for and even with these curses. So we're going to look at 27 first and then look at 28 afterwards. So to begin, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for those who are here and those who are watching uh, online on Facebook. We pray that you be with us tonight. Be with me as I teach this passage. Look at how it points to Christ and what we learn about you and what you have called us to do as believers. And Lord, fill us uh, with joy as we study tonight. Refresh our souls. And Lord, send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we will hear uh, tonight. Lord, just be with us. In Christ's name, amen. So 27 is... Uh, broken into two sections the first part is uh, the command to build an altar and we'll explain uh, what that means so let's look at the first eight verses here the first thing again is the command to set up a special altar so it says and, and remember again always the context is Israel is uh, getting ready to cross over into the promised land and this is the final part of Moses's uh, speech that we read last week so now they're getting these uh, commands as they get ready to go forward about what's going to happen what they need to do when they get uh, over there so the first thing that God commands them to do is have stones of witness so it says now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying keep all the commandments which I command you today and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God has given you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them um, with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God. And burnt offerings, and offer burnt offerings rather, on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings. And you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. So just thinking from a practical point, this was a very uh, arduous task of writing the law on uh, the stones. Because there were over 600 laws that God had given Israel that we uh, have covered in the last few books. Uh, from Exodus beginning with the Ten Commandments all the way down through the Levitical laws in the book of Leviticus and all the laws that we have studied in the book of Deuteronomy. So you had, I think, about 660 uh, different laws that they had to write on these stones, and they had to be large stones. Uh, so this is a very arduous undertaking, but it was for uh, a reason. But the first thing God does is he, he commands them to keep all the commandments which he commands them today. So and Moses had finished his preaching uh, to the people, and there was nothing more to say. God, you know, he had given the people all of the laws and commands of God that we study in this book, in particular, covering chapters 4 all the way down to chapter 26. Uh, so Moses had said all he needed to say. He spoke all that he can spoke. So the only simple encouragement that he could give them was to do what God commanded. Keep all the commandments, you know, everything that we've we've talked about, everything that we've gone over. Just keep them, you know. It's, it's like you you raise your child, 
you know, you, you raise them under fear and admonition of the Lord. You know, when you have children, you, you disciple them. And then when they graduate from high school, whatever the case may be, what more can you say when they're 18 years old? Just do all that we told you to do. You know, do all that you learned in church. Do all that we discipled you in. That's all that you can do at that point. So it's kind of the same thing with Israel. You know, God gave them all these commands, and they were taught to them. You know, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, he told the uh, elders to teach it to your children. You know, put his frontlets on your garments, all those things. Remind them of the gods, of God's law. So they got all these commands. And now, what more does Moses have to say? Keep them. That's it. You've learned it. Keep them. Nothing more to do. So it's basically a simple encouragement to do what God has commanded. It's not enough for Israel to be hearers of the word. And James talks about this in his book. I think it's the first chapter, James 1. And maybe around verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. I think that's James 1. I think I could turn to it right quick. I think it's James 1. It's one thing to hear God's word, but it's another thing to do what? To obey it. We can hear it. It can be preached to us. Yes, James 1 and 22. So this basically is the principle here. James says here in James 1 and 22, but be doers of the word. And not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer but forgets. I'm sorry, no hearer who forgets but a doer acts. He will be blessed in his doing. Same thing that God is saying to them. You're going to be blessed by what? Doing, not just hearing. You're not blessed by just hearing God's word. You're more blessed by what? Doing it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. So that is the principle here that Moses is impressing on these people. Don't just hear. You've heard all these commands now. Guess what? It's time to do it. What's the saying? Actions speak louder than what? Words. God has given them the words. Now they have to put it into uh, practice. I think also I was looking, thinking of another passage here. Um, in Luke, yep, Jesus, Luke 11 and 28. Uh, Jesus said, bless rather those who hear the word of God and keep it. He said this to the woman who uh, raised her hand and, you know, blessed is the woman that bore you in the breast at which you nursed. And Jesus said, blessed are those rather who hear the word of God and keep it. So this is on his journey to Jerusalem. So this is the most important thing for us to realize, just as it was for Israel. Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. Keep God's word. Keep it near and dear to our hearts. Do it instead of just <coughs> hearing it. So now he commands them to keep it. And he says, and it shall be on a day when you cross over the Jordan, which the Lord your God has given you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones. So they were to build an altar. So they came to the promised land. They were to build a, and this was a special altar. This was an altar unlike any other ones. It was made of natural stone. They were not supposed to carve the stones into any shape or anything like that. These were just going to be natural stones. They couldn't quarry them and shape them into different shapes to kind of fit together or whatever. They just had to use uh, stones, natural stone. No iron tool was to be used to carve them. And so with these whole stones making up the altar, they were to write very plainly on the stones all the words of the law and again what made this altar special was that it was going to be used for sacrifice also because it said later in these verses that you shall offer peace offerings on it but the other thing that made it special is that it was going to be a memorial it was going to be a memorial, a memorial of the law of Moses and his sermon you know uh, throughout the book of Deuteronomy so 
this these stones, this stone altar was going to be a memorial to all of what they heard from Moses. Because remember, Moses is not going to go over to the promised land with them. He's going to see it. God's going to lie on the seat, and we're going to see this here uh, in a uh, few uh, subsequent chapters. But he was going to see it, but he wasn't going to be able to go over with them. It was going to be Joshua who was going to lead them over. So this memorial was to the law of Moses. And that's why uh, biblical historians call it the law of Moses because Moses gave the law, although it is God's law, but it was given by Moses. So that's why it is called the law of Moses. So it's going to be a memorial. Now, uh, this command was obeyed by Joshua uh, to do this. In, in Joshua 8, and we're going to study Joshua next in, in our Bible study. But Joshua 8, verse 30. If you want to forward, flip forward to that book. Uh, Joshua did this. When they conquered, well, well, not conquered, when they entered and settled into the land. You'll see here in Joshua, the eighth chapter, at verse 30, it says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron, and they offered on a burnt offering to the Lord and sacrifice." Peace offering. So, what did Joshua do? He obeyed that command. So, this is where we see this command fulfilled uh, by by Joshua. Okay. Now, Joshua did this in the presence of of all of Israel, and it says an altar of stones. Of course, you, sh you shouldn't use a um, iron too to it and the reason why this was is because God wanted the glory for himself he wanted the glory for himself he wanted he didn't want the glory of the stone carver the person who hewn the stones to be the center of attention okay this was God's altar he wanted the attention to be on the altar not on the person who made the altar okay God will share glory with no man on his altar okay Think about the modern church. I've seen beautiful churches, beautiful uh, facilities. And sometimes people can praise the architect who designed it or the company that built the church. And of course, we know it took man's hands to do it. But sometimes what they can do is take away from whose church it actually is. And it's the Lord's church. God gave these men ingenuity to design and to build these great uh, facilities in a sense this is why God uh, did not want these stones to be hewn by any man the beauty and attractiveness of the stones was because it was God's altar so sometimes man we can take something that God made and think that we can shape it into something more beautiful than God did we can do that now in our minds and, and, and think that we can improve upon something that God has already provided and we don't need to do that because uh, the building architect of all this is God so this altar was to be uh, the same way not any fleshly display but it was a provision of God that provided for these stones so that's why um, he didn't want anything to be used on it and they were going to whitewash them with lime of course um to make them clean. And then it says here in verse 9. The day you have. I'm sorry. Then Moses and the priests. The Levites spoke to all Israel. Saying. Again. Take heed and listen O Israel. This day you have become the people. Of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God. And observe his commands and his statutes. Which I command you this day. So Moses is saying, Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel. So first it was Moses by himself. And then now you have all of the leaders of the people saying to them. And this is showing that God is king. And the people of Israel are his subjects. Okay. God tells 
his subjects what he expects of them and what they may expect from him. So the Moses, the priests, the Levites spoke to all of them. Okay? And all they spoke came from God. God is king. He is king and king alone. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And he is commanding his subjects. And again, take heed and listen. That's the common refrain. And we, we keep emphasizing this because you know what's going to happen when they go into the land. They're not going to take heed and they're not going to listen. And that is how the heart of all sinful men are. We hear God's word. We know what God's commands are. But guess what we still do sometimes? Uh, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm more wiser than God. I'm smarter than God. But God is keep commanding them, even through the leaders of the people, to take heed and listen. So they have become the people of God. So agreeing to the covenant, they are now the covenant people of God. It can be said uh, to Israel now, you are God's people. So basically, this is like the signing of a contract. So that's why all the leaders proclaimed, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. The contract was signed. The covenant is sealed. And Israel willingly submitted itself uh, to the Lord God. That's what this shows. Anytime we Whenever God saves us, we're going to talk about this on uh, Sunday, actually, uh, with, with but God. When God saves us out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, he becomes our king. We exchange rulers. Remember, before Christ, we were ruled by who? Satan, our flesh, and the world. But when God saves us, who is rich in mercy... When he saves us, guess what? We exchange rulers. Satan is no longer our ruler. We're no longer ruled by our flesh. We're no longer ruled by the, the principalities of the world. We're now under the rulership of God through his son, Jesus Christ. We exchange loyalties. We exchange uh, destinies. We go from being destined uh, to, to hell and eternal punishment to being destined to be with Christ forever in heaven. So we exchange all those things when we are in Christ. Israel is the same thing. Before God, they were just like any other nation, but God set his love upon Israel and made them his special people. And as he reminded them, not because of anything that they did, God just set his love on them. And they agreed, they submitted to him, as God they recognize him as king just as we as believers we recognize Jesus as king he is both Lord and Savior of our lives he's not just the one who saved us from our sins but he is also our Lord and because he is our Lord guess what we bow down to him we're subject to him excuse me and Jesus is not a evil Lord he's not a dictator he's not a tyrant but we submit willingly to him as our king. Remember, every kingdom has a king. And every king has subjects in his kingdom. And for the kingdom of God, his subjects are all believers. So this is basically the, the, the transfer here. They are now the people of God. And because they are the people of God, he says here, you observe, I'm sorry, you obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes. So basically, Israel and what God says to us is, if the Lord is our king, it is very fitting that we do what? Obey him. If he's our king. If Israel are now the people of God, then guess what? He says, therefore, Therefore is therefore a reason. Okay. Now you God's people. Therefore. You shall obey the voice. Of the Lord of Yahweh. It is fitting. So Moses and all the leadership. Basically declared a fact. 
there was obviously everyone. Jesus, God, and in that case, it was Yahweh. Yahweh was their Lord. So now they have to do it, obey him. You know, it's funny. Uh, Kenneth Copeland, who's a false teacher, who's a heretic. Um, one of his famous sayings is Jesus is Lord. He even has it at his church in, in Texas. He's got this giant mural in the back of his church that says Jesus is Lord. But yet this man <laughs> preaches a very false doctrine. Very false, very heretical teachings. But yet he always says, he always ends his broadcast by saying, and remember, Jesus is Lord. He always says that. Jesus is Lord. But Kenneth Copeland is not one of his because he's a heretic. He's a false teacher. Just because a person says Jesus is Lord, guess what? If they're not obeying him, if they're fleecing the flock and making merchandise of saints, uh, deceiving people, uh, flying around in private jets because he's too good to fly uh, like everybody else. Spending stand multi-million dollar houses and going around uh, fleecing people financially. I, I, used, to, I used to follow Keith, uh, Kenneth Copeland. You know, sending money in for this, that, and the other to enrich him and his wife Gloria. Hmm? Yep, sowing a seed. Not just small seed, $1,000 seed. Making them rich. But yet he turns around and says, Jesus is Lord. But you're deceiving people. You're fleecing people. That's false. If Jesus is Lord, we obey him. We obey all his commands. We don't take advantage of people. We don't lie and deceive uh, people. If I claim, if I proclaim Jesus is Lord and I come in here and start preaching a false doctrine, Jesus is not my Lord. I'm being a false professor of the faith. And that's a very dangerous place to be. So that's the seriousness of it. And that's the seriousness that Israel faces. Jesus is their Lord. I mean, God, rather Yahweh is their Lord. There's the, the, uh, the Lord God. So. They're called to do what? Obey him. Now that that table is set, so shortly here uh, in the verses 11 through 13, it gives the division of the tribes. So it says Moses here commanded the people, saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you have crossed over the Jordan. And these are all the uh, 12 tribes, the 12 sons of um, I'm forgetting Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay. You got Levi. I'm sorry, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. So when Israel came to the promised land, they were to separate the tribes according to these two groups. Okay, this is what God commanded them to do. One group would gather on Mount Gerizim, as it says here, to bless the people. And then the other group would stand on Mount Ebal, and they would curse those who obeyed, who rather disobeyed the law of God. So this was, this scene was fulfilled in, again, Joshua, the eighth chapter, where we, we just read um, where Joshua had, you know, set the stones up. And then it says here, uh, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim. This is uh, Joshua 8 and 35, 34, 35. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them were in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterwards he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. And I like this part here, verse 35. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel with women, the little ones, and strangers who were living among them. So everyone heard this. Of course, we're looking ahead, but the point is he obeyed 
what God had set forth. Because remember, Joshua was among this group right here who was going into the promised land. Okay? So Joshua uh, made sure that this was fulfilled. And the thing is, in Joshua 8, this happened after Israel had lost uh, the battle to Ai because of uh, Achan's uh, sin that he committed. So this uh, that Joshua did in Joshua 8 happened after Israel had uh, defeated Ai, but then Israel repented, and then God gave them victory over, over Ai. So Joshua wanted to do everything that he could to walk in obedience uh, to God. Okay? So Joshua was a man of the book. He wanted to do right and obey God. So he was doing what God was saying do. Obey my commandments. And this is what you ought to do. Split the tribes up. You know, half go this way and half go the other way. So now, after this, the rest of the chapter uh, declares the curses. Okay? So we're just going to look at these curses uh, in, in short. Okay? It says here, the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel. First, I'm not going to read all these, but it talks about a carved and molded image. And this is the thing. All these curses are, correspond with all the commands that God had given them from what we read from the fourth chapter all the way through. So this is basically a, a recap or a summary of all of them. It talks about treating how you treat your mother and father, your neighbor's landmark. We did landmark, I think, a few chapters ago, respecting private property. Um, the blind, uh, justice due to the stranger, fatherless, and widow. I think we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Lying with an uh, animal. Um, lies with sister, daughter, father, blah, 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 so forth and so on. So, the Levites had to speak with a loud voice. They had to make a good impression on them any of those who break the covenant and notice they had to say what amen at the end of each one you look at verse 15 curse be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image an abomination to the Lord a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret and all the people shall answer and say what amen it is said amen in essence means it is said it is agreed to. It is true. So the Levites declared and the people agreed to the curses. When you agree to something, that means you do what? Agree with it. <laughs> okay. You agree with the curse and you also agree with the consequences of the curse. Okay. So first it says, it was a curse upon idolaters. That's what the first one is. I'm, I'm summarizing all these. It was a curse upon idolaters making a carved or cast metal image. Then it gives curses upon those who dishonor their parents. You know, we read that where in, in, in the law, if a child was rebellious to their parents, they were to be put to death, a rebellious son. Then it gives a curse to those who steal, removing your neighbor's landmark, not respecting a person's uh, private property. Curse upon those who were cruel, uh, to basically the disabled, the one who makes the blind wander off the road, the one who perverts justice. Man, just imagine that happening in our society. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of justice that is perverted, but it says uh, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. You know, those who are orphans. Of course, we talked about the widows, I think, last week, week before last, and also the stranger, the sojourner. The curse upon those who disobey God's uh, sexual standard uh, regarding incest and bestiality. And I'll just say this uh, when I was reading this, lies with any kind of animal like they lie with mankind, verse 21. Uh, there are uh, communities of people in our nation, in our world, that do that, and that is abhorrent. It is against nature, of course. And Believe it or not, there are small movements to legalize bestiality. Well, I, like I said Sunday, 
we didn't think five, ten years ago that so-called transgenderism was going to be a thing. And look at where we are now. We didn't believe 15 years ago, or 10 years ago for that matter, I'll go back as far as 15 years ago, that it would be legal for two men or two women to, quote, get married. None of us, <laughs> Emily, when you were in high school, did you know that, that was going to happen? <laughs> you know, when I was in college and high school, that was never thought of. So, you know, we, we shudder at those things because why do we shudder? Because we know it's abhorrent. It's an abomination to God. And we know God's law and God's standard. But you have people who are in darkness and spiritual darkness who are dead in their sins. They believe that this is okay to do. But that's why people, thankfully, are punished for bestiality still. You know, because it's a, it's, 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 it's a crime. So uh, there was a curse against that. Curses uh, against the violent. The one who attacks their neighbor uh, secretly. Okay, of course, it talked about lying with the sister, the daughter of his father, so forth and so on. Lying with the mother-in-law. It talks about all those things. Strikes down his neighbor in secret. Okay, then it goes to taking bribes. Basically cheating the courts, taking bribes, perjury. You know, take, taking a bribe to slay an innocent person. And then it sums it up by saying, curse be anyone who does not conform or confirm rather the words of this law by doing them and all the people shall say amen <laughs> so basically if a person thinks that they've escaped these curses it will be a, a curse pronounced on them the one who does not conform to the words of this law they may say oh that's not you know that's not in the law but it's still all the words of the law okay so even if someone had escaped all the previous curses, no one can conform to all the words of this law. And this is a very good uh, point right here, is that all of us are lawbreakers. All of us have broken God's law. All of us have. There's no person... No human being who has kept all of God's law and definitely hasn't kept it perfectly. So we have to see ourselves as lawbreakers. And people who are uh, unbelievers have to see themselves as lawbreakers. I know, um, what's his name? Ray Comfort. He's a, he's a Christian evangelist, very good brother. He, he does like street evangelism. He does a great job at it. I think his, his uh, organization is called The Way of the Master. And um, one thing, one good thing he does when he talks to people, and I know Todd Friel does this too with his wretched, when he goes on campuses on, on Wednesdays, it comes on his podcast. He asks them, you know, people say that they, you know, good people, so forth and so on. And they'll start asking questions about the Ten Commandments. Like, uh, have you ever told a lie? Yes. <laughs> have you ever disrespected your parents? Uh, yes. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Uh, yes. Then some people say no to some of those, but then if you ask them, have you ever coveted something? Have you ever wanted something that you really didn't need? Uh, yes. Well, guess what? You're a lawbreaker. <laughs> You've broken God's law. Okay? And, 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 and the point of that is that Many people think that they can be right with God by obeying God's law. But no one can perfectly obey all of God's law. All of us stand condemned before God because none of us can obey his law perfectly. None of us can. That's the bad news is that we can't. We can try all we can. And I always talk about this. You have people who try to do good works to assuage their guilty conscience to make themselves feel good about themselves although they have rejected God they try to do good works all they're trying to do is please God by trying to obey him by trying to do good but there is always hope and the hope is that 
in Jesus, we don't have an old covenant relationship with God. And we thank the Lord for that. Okay. We expect to be blessed, not because of our obedience, but because of Christ's obedience. We're blessed in God because of the obedience of Christ in going to the cross and dying in our place for our sins. And because of Christ's obedience, those of us who believe in him, guess what? We're reconciled to our God. Only through Christ can we be reconciled to God. Only because of Christ's obedience do we even have a way to be reconciled to God. If Christ hadn't gone to the cross, the night in the garden of Gethsemane, if he said, no, Lord, I'm not going to take this cup of suffering. But Christ was what? He was perfectly obedient. He perfectly obeyed God's law. He became a curse for us. He bore all the curses of the law upon himself. And that's what makes this so good is that because of Christ, we don't have this old covenant relationship. The curse that was deserved upon us was laid on Christ. And Paul talked about that in Galatians when I was preaching through it. uh, Galatians 3. Christ bore the curse. So now there will be consequences to our disobedience. God does not remove the consequences of sin from us. He forgives us of our sins. He doesn't remove the consequences. But God also corrects us lovingly if we sin against him. He chastises those whom he loves. That's what the writer in uh, Hebrews uh, 12 tells us. But under the new covenant, God does not punish us or curse us when we don't obey him. Okay? That's the great glory of the gospel. He doesn't punish us. Who, who was punished for our sins? Christ. Isaiah 53 says that. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement about us peace was upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions. So Christ, God doesn't punish us or curse us because all that we deserved, all the punishment, all the curses that we deserve, past, present, and future, man, (laughs) I poured on Christ. Past, present, and future. For Israel... The best they could do was try to do what? Try to obey it. This is a foreshadowing of what we have, the blessings that we have in Christ. And because we're in Christ, guess what? We have an inheritance that can't be taken away from us. As a punishment to Israel, what did God do? He expelled them from Israel because they disobeyed him. We're going to see that in subsequent chapters in this book. But because of their disobedience, he expelled them from the promised land. That's what the exile was all about. But in his great love for his people, guess what he did? Seventy years later, he brought them back. Sure. Yes. Yes. No, I didn't say we're going to get punished. No, God does. God does forgive us. Our sins are already forgiven. Past, present, and future. We're not punished for our sins. Christ, Christ took our punishment upon himself. Yeah, God doesn't. Pun- now, he chastises us, but chastisement is different from punishment. Because punishment is is punitive. It's like a sentence. Okay. Does God chastise us? Yes. But chastening is a way of correct. It's just like you chastise a child. Okay. A child does wrong. You spank them or put them in time out or whatever. That is not punitive. Okay. It is not a a final sentence on them. It is a way of, of lovingly correcting. Because the writer in Hebrews says that 
uh, the Lord chastens those whom he loves. Whomever the Lord loves, he chastens. He chastened Israel. Why? Because he loved Israel. The exile was a way of chastening them, but he didn't expel them as his people. He chastened them for 70 years and then brought them back into uh, Israel, as we saw in the book of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. But God chastens us because of our sin or when we sin against him. But he doesn't punish us. We're not condemned. You think about punishment, you think about being condemned. Okay? And Romans 8 and 1 tells us that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not condemned. Christ bore the condemnation of sin. He bore the curse of sin for us. God chastises us to correct us. Uh, chastisement can come through trials and tribulations. Okay? Those things do come upon us. But he doesn't punish us. Christ was already punished for our sins. So if, if something is, uh, you know, we're going through some trials or tribulations or whatever, uh, we, we shouldn't say, man, God is punishing me. Now, we can say God is chastising me, but he's not punishing us. Okay? Christ bore that. And it, it, it took me a while to, to learn that because I came from a, a legalistic system where I was afraid to sin. I mean, I was going to sin anyway, but it's like every time I sinned, I thought I was going to hell because that's the way it was taught. I, ne- I didn't know about justification, uh, that I'm declared righteous before God. That when God sees me, he sees Christ. He sees his son. He sees me being in Christ. We were like scared to sin. We felt so condemned when we sin. Like, man, I'm going to hell. That's condemnation. And that's what condemnation does. Condemnation and conviction are two different things. The spirit convicts us of sins. Okay, and that conviction, we take that conviction to the Lord and we confess our sins and and we repent, you know, turn away from that sin, continuously putting that sin to death. That's conviction that comes with it. But condemnation is is totally is it's, it's a damning. It's a sentencing yourself to to death. Basically, think about a condemned criminal. You know, someone who is condemned to death. It's like a final judgment. But. For us as believers, we're not condemned. We are convicted of sins. God does chasten us, but his chastisement is a loving chastisement just as a a parent chastises their child. A parent chastens their child, as he said, because they love that child. They're not doing it to to punish them and condemn them because they're they're, they're still your child. So uh, that's, that's a good question. I think some Christians struggle with that. And, you know, we try, I try to make sure that we all understand that, including myself. Um, anyone else? Does that sound okay? Or um, Because we want to make sure that we don't get those two things confused, conviction and con- condemnation, and also chastisement and condemnation. Okay? Again, God chastised Israel. He chastised them by sending <laughs> um, in the book of, uh, you see in the book of Josh, he chastised them because of Achan's sin in uh, Joshua the 7th chapter. They went up against this tiny city and lost because of the sin of Achan. They had to figure out, hey, well, why, why can't we defeat Ai? Because there was sin in the camp and Achan and his family was done away with. That was a chastisement against his people, but it was done lovingly. Okay? Uh, other battles that Israel lost, they lost because they did not trust in the Lord. They didn't walk in God's ways. So God allowed the enemies to come in. Even in the book of 1 Samuel, when the Philistines came and took the Ark of the Covenant away from Israel, it was a way to chastise them because they were not walking in his ways. And Saul wasn't doing right by God. How did he chastise David when he sinned against Bathsheba? He took that child away from him. But he didn't remove his love from David. David was still a man after God's own heart. David... Um, God still made the covenant, the Davidic covenant, that uh, there never failed to be anyone sitting on his throne. And that was ultimately Christ. Although David did sin against God with Bathsheba, 
God chastised him. How is it that God chastised David? By his own son Absalom rising up against him. Because there was going to be sin in his family because of his sin that he committed with uh, Bathsheba. But that did not <clears throat> mean that God didn't love David. You know, God didn't condemn David. God set his love upon David. God set the throne of Christ upon David's seat. That's why Christ is called, one of his titles is Son of David. How did God chastise Solomon? If you read through 2 Kings, Solomon's sin in, in, as uh, I think the 11th chapter when, you know, 700 wives, 200 concubines, you know, he disobeyed God's warning. Okay. He was chastised through his sons. His sons uh, became bad kings. And because of that, Israel was split into two different kingdoms. But that wasn't his final plan for them. But all their rebellion, the northern tribe was taken away, I think, by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. And the southern kingdom was taken away in exile in 586 B.C. for 70 years. That was chastisement for those people. So all that to say, I hope I answered the question, is that as believers... We're not condemned, but we are chastened by God. But we can't take that chastening as condemnation. Like we did something and God is mad at us and, you know, like a petulant child and he's just going to punish us. No, punishment was put on Christ. All these curses right here are punishments. They're punitive. And so this shows us the extent of the curses that Christ took upon himself for all of humanity, all those who believe in him. He took on all these curses that come with the law. And that's how great our salvation is. And that's how great uh, the, 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 the price that uh, Christ paid for us on the cross. All the punishment of sin, all the curse of sin was poured on Christ. All those who believe in Christ, guess what? That's taken away. We're not punished and we're not cursed. No one can put a curse on us or a hex on us or anything like that. We don't believe in that uh, superstitious nonsense. Christ bore all that for us. Past, present, and future. It's done. It's a done deal. That's the great, like I said, I didn't know this until last 15, 10, well, 10, 11, 12 years. And it was glorious when I learned that because, man, I was going around condemning myself a lot. <laughs> I mean, seriously, because I didn't understand what all that meant. I didn't understand Isaiah 53. I didn't understand uh, substitutionary atonement, dying in our place for our sins. I didn't understand justification, that the believers declared righteous before God because of Christ and his righteousness being put on us. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. I just knew that. When I sinned, I was going to hell. It means I was going to hell every day, multiple times a day. <laughs> okay? Because I sinned in thought, word, and deed. So, man, there was no hope. I mean, you always felt like nothing was enough. That's how condemning that, that system is, that, that, that holiness, Jesus-only uh, legalistic system is. You just feel like there's no joy. You just walk around every day like, man, I'm not doing anything to please God. I mean, seriously, that's that's how it felt. It was like you were in bondage, like you just can't ever do enough. I was condemning myself. I mean, I got a couple of family members that are still struggling with that, although they've been delivered from that. It's you know, that they're still struggling with it because it was beaten to you. Basically, we got, got a lot of, and that's the consequence of having wrong theology, too. It can, it can mess people up. And it takes a long time to, you know, get out of it. Just like one of our ladies, they go to our church, and we start teaching on Trinity, and she got spooked. Yeah. Because she came from the same background uh, we did, uh, the non-Trinitarian, oneness, 
Pentecostal Jesus only church. They, 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 they don't teach against the Trinity. They, they think the Trinity is worshiping three gods. <laughs> and she got spooked. I mean, I talked to her about it. You know, we looked through scriptures and uh, together when we were doing our Bible study on Trinity, and she, she was just spooked by it. I mean, she just was. You know, <laughs> I did all I could to try to explain it to her uh, lovingly, and, uh, you know, she was in it for 50 years. I mean, that's a long time and very abusive system um, it can be. And she just got spooked when we started teaching on the Trinity. And, uh, you know, she decided that she couldn't, couldn't fellowship with us anymore because of that. You know, but that's the, it's going down the rabbit hole, but that's the consequence of a false teaching. That people can feel, and Fran and I know people like that, they feel condemned every day. Because we know people, we have family members, we have loved ones, we have people that we know that are still in those type of churches. And they're very judgmental. They're very condemning of people who are believers. They're very self-righteous. Very self-righteous. And yet, they have no joy because they don't know that they've been justified by God. They don't know that Christ bore all the condemnation that you're bringing upon yourself or that you're carrying that that has already been taken care of at the cross. But when you're in that system for a long time, it can, it can, it can cloud. I was very judgmental. When I first got saved, I was very judgmental. But man, I was so miserable because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel any freedom but the Paul said stand fast in the liberty where Christ has set you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage he was talking to the Galatians about the bondage of legalism and part of that bondage is self condemnation and not accepting the work of Christ that's actually pride because you're saying <laughs> Christ is you're more gracious you're more unforgiving than Christ is. That's what you're saying. That's, that's, that's pride that you, you, you tell me you can't accept the work that Christ did on the cross on your behalf. That he's already done that you don't have to do. The gospel is about what Christ has done, not what we do. So. I appreciate that question. That was, uh, I guess that was a very long answer. Uh, anyone want else got any questions about that or any encouragements, any testimonies <laughs> about being in that type of uh Well I didn't say a lot of years in that kind of church. Yes, ma'am. I can't say I was in that kind of church because I don't know. We were just understood. But I know this since I've been here with you. Yes, ma'am. Well, we praise the Lord. Let's yes, ma'am. Since 2018. Yes, ma'am. Since August of 2018. To be specific, I appreciate that. Uh, that's the testimony to the Lord's work in our in our hearts and in our lives. And uh, you know, we we just want to, you know, like I said, some of us have probably come from those kind of systems, or we know people that are in those type of uh, religious systems, and. Um, we want to make sure that we understand as believers that Christ bore all of the curses of the law. He bore the condemnation for sin on himself. That's why we praise and worship him because he's the one who did that. We can't, we can't do that. We can't even bear with our own conscience sometimes when we think about some of the stuff that, that we do or have done. Just think, I mean, sometimes, you know, we, we, we can't even bear our own conscience. Just imagine us trying to bear all of our sins on ourselves. Just ours. We, we can't even bear them all because we don't even know them all. But Israel, man, 
it was it was a lot but God had commanded them he gave them all these commands they were his covenant people now I want to say this and, and, and we'll, we'll land this right here none of this is a license to sin okay we are called to obey God yes we're, we're not condemned we obey God because we're not condemned we're free to obey God because we're not condemned we're free to obey God because we're not cursed if we sin which we will do because the freedom is that we're forgiven that's the freedom the freedom is that as 1st John I think 9 and 10 well 1st John 2 and 1 says uh, if we say we have no sin make ourselves lie and truth is not in us but when we sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous so guess what we're going to sin but even when we do sin guess what we have an advocate Jesus Christ he's our attorney amen yes yep exactly amen and also since you said that it is the spirit of God who leads us to obey him you know it, it is the spirit of God in every believer who leads us to obey him he is the one who leads us into into all truth so the freedom is that even when we do sin Jesus Christ pleads our righteousness before God he doesn't condemn us Satan is our accuser he's the accuser of the brethren but Jesus stands and litigates our case basically and pleads our righteousness before God Israel had Moses to do that as their intercessor we have Christ who is the intercessor above all and Christ has a perfect record of defending our case before God yeah well I'll say this about that we as believers we are called to fight against sin to mortify the deeds of the flesh I think that's Colossians 3 we're called to put to death sin uh, I'll say this a person who is living in habitual unrepentant sin is not a believer if it's habitual and if it's unrepentant if they're not turning away from it if it's the seat sum and center of their life to do those sins then they're not a believer because no one who believes God keeps on sinning uh, first John talks about that we don't live in habitual sin it's a difference between living in sin and struggling against sin we struggle against sin we fight against it we we pray against it we 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 repent we confess we don't give in and say well I just might as well do it anyway no that's not what the believer does the believer fights and we fight with the spirit's help amen I know, let me say this. yes Yes, ma'am. <laughs> there you go. Yes. Yes. There you go. I did too. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're supposed to guard our mouths. So I'm glad you do that. I'm glad you. Yeah, uh, you know you do that that's what we have to do that's alright amen. amen let's pray as we close out Lord thank you for this study thank you for your word Lord thank you for Christ bearing the curse of sin for us thank you Lord for Christ bearing the condemnation of sin Lord we see Israel uh, they have all these curses if they don't obey you Lord we thank you that you have given us the power to obey you by means of your spirit and father we ask you as we leave this evening give us the strength give us the power to obey your word but lord even when we fall short which we will let us as believers know that when we do sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous who pleads our righteousness before us who has given us his righteousness that his righteousness has been granted to us Lord 
And help us, Lord, to continue to fight against sin, to turn away from it, to walk away from temptation when it comes our way, to continually confess our sins, and to repent and turn away with the Spirit's help. In Christ's name I pray, amen.